Hi, I'm Noah Nelson, host of the No Persinium podcast, a show about immersive theater, VR, escape games, and all that kind of stuff. But this isn't that. While we're hosting this bonus series on our podcast feed, this is a show all about the 2017 DuckTales TV series. It features our longtime collaborator, writer Zay Amsbury, and myself as we dive into the treasure trove that is the DuckTales reboot. We're calling it Webbed Toes, the DuckTales footnotes. This is a show for people who have seen or are watching the series, an exploration of theme and storytelling, and it goes all over the place. Which makes sense when you realize we started doing this to replace our weekly Westworld discussion, which ran out of gas as season three rolled on. So yeah, this is one of those shows. And if you like those, we hope you like this. And you should really, really watch this version of DuckTales. We are now at the end of our initial journey with the 2017 DuckTales. We're at the final four episodes. Uh, joining me as always is my partner in crime, Zay Amsbury. Hey, Zay. Hello, hello. Um, I don't know when you're listening to this. I don't know if we have released two episodes back to back in order to, to get this all done out into the world. Entirely possible. I don't know what state America is in the moment, um, but I know if you're like me, sometimes you do need to seal up the doors, pretend you don't have any, and go to a faraway place where there are, um, uh, what's what's the term for talking animals? <laughs> anthropomorphized. <laughs> where there are anthropomorphized animals. You could just say talking animals. Where there are talking animals. Talking uh, animals is just fine. Yeah. Where 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 the bad guys are bad and the good guys are good. And uh and and, and that's all you really that's all you really need to know until a couple of middle aged men come in with their damned ideas <laughs> and start rearranging the furniture. But here we are for the last four episodes of season one. The, the, the roll call is if you haven't watched these, I implore you. Go watch them before you listen to this one because the spoilers are on. The secrets, parenthetical around the last S, of Castle McDuck, The Last Crash of the Sun Chaser, and The Shadow War, uh, which I re- just rewatched a few minutes ago, uh, basically. in uh, The Shadow War is a two part episode. So it was episode 23 and 24 of the season, and you will find it as two episodes on Disney. Plus. Um, the Secrets of Castle McDuck is uh, earlier in the Disney Plus lineup now, but after having watched these episodes, um, I e- even though I can see why they might have done some shuffling, I also feel like very firmly this is an almost – this is like an hour and a half, a 90-minute movie essentially, these last four episodes – and uh, they they advance the main arc uh, pretty much every step of the way. Like this, this is all on the A plot of the series. Um, actually, the A and B plot of the series are 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 in play this entire time. 
Uh, so I feel like this is this is the proper way to watch them. It's also the way I watched them originally. It's also the way they aired. So whoever was programming got it right. We start with the secrets of Castle MacDuck. Um, Zay, um, I always toss it to you because I had already gotten to see it. Uh, how this one hit you? I loved this episode. I loved all of these episodes. I mean, especially. <laughs> Especially the secrets of Castle McDuck and the last crash of the Sun Chaser. Um, I love them so, so, so much. I mean, maybe it was just because I watched them this afternoon and I also needed to uh, um, go inside a soft, comfy world of duck family love in order to find some solace from the day. Um, but I loved this episode, and there are very there's some specific moments that I really loved. Again, all of the um, the jokes and the moment to moment basis were quite lovely. I love when Launchpad's looking at the at the map of Scotland, and the and and the words on the map are "Map of Scotland," which is <laughs> um, and and they're going so they're so they're going on a they're going to Scotland. Uh, and they're going to um, to find a treasure at Castle the, last, the, the secret treasure of the Templars. Yes, uh, of the Templars. I'm I'm really glad that they didn't go deep into Templar stuff. You know, I'm I'm glad that that didn't become a big deal. Yeah. Uh, for those of you who want to, uh, I recommend. Uh, you do not take it seriously, but I totally recommend Holy Blood, Holy Grail. That's, yes. That is the quintessential uh, Templar conspiracy theory book published in the published like in the 80s. I think I found it at a thrift store, uh, had yeah. a lurid fascination with it, and also checked out all of them at, from the library when I was about 13 years old, which is – or maybe I was 17, somewhere around there. That's when you should be into conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. If, if you're, st- if you're, if you're still really lucky, then you're our age, and you grew up in the, and you also got to experience the X Files, which really um, was the thing that should have um, metabolized all that stuff for you. So then you could be free to, you know, look at history in a way that wasn't like a. Uh, what did Terrence McKenna call conspiracy theory? He called it ontolog. He called them ontological cartoons. Mm, yeah, I mean. It, there's there's a our brains need to order things mm-hmm. and story is the thing that drives our reality and so it, it it makes it's it's human instinct to narrativize the world around us like uh, it's just that sadly politics and power don't fit stories neatly it's a game for people in power to try and make themselves appear to fit the story, but they can't fit the story because they're people. And, you know, I, I, sometimes I look at the, the the Templar stuff and I think there, there may be some grains of truth. There may be some weird stuff that's going on. Like there's, it's absolutely fascinating, uh, but it's, they're, they're, you know, you read enough Robert Anton Wilson, you read enough, um, you, you, you read enough, you know, you know, Von Denken and like all like the, oh, I'm trying to remember some of the names like Graham, Graham Hancock and all this sort of stuff. You read enough of it 
and and it at a certain point it all is just somebody's somebody's murder wall and it's 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 someone who is trying to make sense of a world that will never ever 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 make sense because it cannot make sense and that's not the point of the world the world's not supposed to make sense stories are supposed to make sense which is why you find such solace in them right Um, but yeah that's that's the that's the templar rant so you're glad we did that it didn't go there Uh, there there are about eight tangents that i I'm, i'm holding myself back on right now but instead let's loop it back to scotland yeah. when they arrive at castle mcduck and scrooge mcduck's mcduck's parents appear yes and i i have a note here that says parents are alive exclamation point question mark exclamation point question mark yep 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 which is pr- pretty much the appropriate response uh because you know how 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 just how like this this should not be at all possible um of course they know it shouldn't be possible so there is some exposition that explains it within five seconds um which boils down to 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 kind of echo something that's going to come up later it's magic it's magic (laughs) it's magic (laughs) it doesn't matter but, it, it, but one, one of the things I love about this episode, um, and this sort of begins to get at it, and it's one of the things I love about DuckTales is the way that it takes all of these different things that, that, that affect us in terms of family. And it, and it comes up with a, with a set of stories that make all of these things present all the time. Yes. So your extended family is always there. Your parents are always there. Your mom is always there. And so you have to figure out how to be in a family, which is what the next episode is about foundationally. Um, Here, even Scrooge McDuck, who is already immortal, maybe, has to deal with his parents, who also still exist. Yeah. Like Scrooge might be immortal, but his parents are immortal. Like that's yeah. established in in the exchange with with his father with Fergus, where he's like, well, what did you you know what what were my my options were like either like make you immortal or let you pass on? Like, would you rather have me do it? Like, you should know neither is good enough. And then and and those McDuck, are the only two options. And then Scrooge McDuck says they didn't know having his parents be immortal would would uh, buy me an eternity's worth of criticism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so one of the things I had forgotten about this episode was that this was like the second episode to make me cry, and it still mm. it still got me this time. Um, partly because it was like and it didn't get me as big as it did. Like I think I went full on weeping the first time but there's the moment i'm jumping ahead a little bit here because like and the way i mean just you've all seen the episode you know launch pads told to go park the, the jeep in the moors and my first thought was like does launch pad know what a moor is <laughs> <laughs> like that's that could be really problematic for launch pad um that scooge's mom says mac instead of mick right you know, and it's subtle too. It's not done big, but she's always saying Mac, right? That that we it's clear to us that the that the arc of this of Clan McDuck is they were they were very wealthy at one point, but by the time of Fergus, they were broke. 
Right? Yes. And like this, this dovetails into something else later on, but we haven't quite gotten there yet. Yeah. Well, well, maybe, well, yeah. So, so the Webby, Webby basically goes and is easily sidelined. She's just in shock the entire episode. Um, there's some fun moments with the boys and, and their great grandmother, I guess. I don't even know how the math really works. Um, and, but, but the critical moment for me is well, the, we should probably talk about like the, the internal tension because I, and as we want to focus on. So Dewey, when we, when we first see Dewey in the car, he's looking at the spear, the, the sphere of Celine, mm-hmm. um, which we haven't seen in a while. And he's flipping through as if it was uh, an iPhoto gallery images of his mom, uh, on adventures, mostly with the Greek gods. Um, and we're quickly centered on the fact that he's hoping to find out something about his mom inside the castle. Yes. And he still has a deep need to keep it secret and to not tell his brothers. Yeah. And, and all of the tension, all of, all of the, the miscommunication, which drives part of the plot of the episode revolves around the fact that Dewey doesn't want to share that information for, for what winds up being a couple of reasons. And Huey and Louie are just down for adventure as, cause they're, they're all the duck boys and that's what they do. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so, it's just so good. It's just yeah. Dewey's secret keeping and, and the way the confrontation happens between the boys at at the key moment. And the moment that made me cry is they they've gone on the adventure. They've they've gotten down into the crypt. So like what the adventure, as you know, because you watched the episode, um, they like they bump into a painting. On the back of the painting, there's a, a riddle. The riddle's written in Della's handwriting, which Dewey knows because uh, he's got an example of her handwriting. So he freaks out and is like, this is about mom. I got to keep it from the other guys. I got to find it first. The other guys don't know why. He's like trying to run off. They wind up in the crypt. And in the crypt, one of the things is is uh, there's there, there's a there's a tomb for Donald because it's the family crypt, which is super morbid. <laughs> like this is essentially a kid show. And it's like all about whatever, whatever puzzle this was, was going to send Donald to like find his own grave. Um, and then they get inside and there's a bag and Dewey quickly realizes that it's Della's bag. That's her stuff, but the other boys don't. And then a, and a monster shows up and tries to get at them. And Louis like, Hey, I think it's Louis. Like, hey, let's burn this to like get away from the, the monster. Like, let's use it. Mm-hmm. And it's the moment when Dewey says, "No, we can't. It's mom's." Yeah, and that's just a uh, gut punch. Yeah, and it's also it's also the commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, wham! Hey, kids, do you like McDonald's? Do you like toys? <laughs> Here's some stuff that's going to make you feel real good. Yeah, I want an apple pie from McDonald's. I'm so sad right now. I need sugar and a toy. And that explains my entire existence. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So that gut punch hits. But then like 
they don't leave it at that. When we, when we come back, not from the break, cause we got to go over to the other plot for a second. When we mm-hmm. come back to that scene, I think the big one for me is that Huey's angry, but Louie is just sad. It's and it's that it's Louie. Yeah. yeah. He's like, like Louie, the one who, who seems to be the one who cares the least about this sort of thing. Who's the, he's the, he's the, he's the con guy. He's the money guy, but he is the most affected by it. Yeah. How could you keep something about mom from us? And, 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 it's, and that's one of the few moments when you see that he's the baby, that he's the youngest one. Oh, I never thought of it that way, but you're right. Louis is the baby. Huh. Yeah, he's the least emotionally developed. Yep. This is why he's obsessed with money. Exactly. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that pretty? Oh, this this writer's room. I also think the story had like four. <laughs> I think there was a four or five people listed. It's like the the story by like this one had a lot of parents, as many of these episodes do. Um, I'd be fascinated to see how they like assign credit and like break these things down. Um, yeah. Like I would I would give anything to like talk to this writer's room. Um, at least at least after this season worth of stuff, we haven't seen another season, so who knows. <laughs> feel or if the same people are working on it um there'll be be a lot of competition between us and all of the other ducktales 2017 podcasts to get them on you know you 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 jest but (laughs) should really look and see if there might have been a few you'd be be surprised (laughs) i came up i came up with like a name for like a star wars podcast a couple of weeks ago and i was like finally perfect yes this is a thing and i looked it up and it had been taken in may of this year and i was like (laughs) no and there were like two episodes i was like no they started this during quarantine why um i can't remember man i've i've been i've been listening i've been rewatching buffy which is i don't know hard uh, but also imagine. useful. Yeah. And, um, and I've been trying to find voices to help me process all of it. And there's, and I found a, a Buffy podcast that started a few months before November, 2016. Mm. That is run by two um, queer women and it's fantastic. And oh. it's called buffering. Buffering. Uh, Juliet. Bennett Ryla, who is a yeah. big fan of the show. Uh, she loves that show. She loves that series. I think I think they had a meetup at one point. I think she may have actually gone. Nice. Um, I don't I don't know entirely, but yeah, buffering buffering is said to be like that's like the one. They're they are super sharp and it's uh helping me a lot. That's fantastic. I don't I don't think I'm gonna like unlace I don't think I I don't think I need to unlace any of Whedon's work, maybe ever again. There like, is not. I, I'm I'm doing it for a very very specific reason, and I would not. Yeah. Yeah. Um. We'll, we'll talk about that specific reason off the air. I'm just made me curious. Um. So that gut punch, and I mean, for me, just just that that was you know, almost like a, who needs the rest of an episode, right? Like it's just so good. It's it's everything. Yeah. It's like this whole story is sort of built to have that moment. And, and that, and that advance, and it also advances the entire season. That's right. 
That's right. It it brings it to a point where where the search for where the search for Della Duck must happen because all the brothers are in it together now. Yeah. Um and and I I feel bad for anyone who's watching it in the order it's on D plus right now. Yeah, secrets happens way too early. Yeah. Uh, cause you, you get that sense. moment. Yeah. You get that moment. And then like, there's a, there's, there's, it's like nothing else matters once that right. happens. Right. Um, so, so we raced to that. You, you had a note about, um, about, about the Scrooge being raised in poverty coming back around. Well, so, so for me, the, the moment you described was also deeply moving for me. And, um, and given that we're both Deweys, um, I think it was particularly moving to see how, because um, I, I understand him keep keeping the secret, and I understand that uh, wanting to feel special and wanting the the quest to be just his own. I understand that, and then having it impact your baby brother to that degree. Not that I ever had a baby brother, um, but I can imagine it would be uh, uh, shattering. For me, though. In this episode, this whole the secret origin of the number one dime, mm-hmm. I think, is this wild kind of alchemy that's continuing with the series about wealth and money and privilege and work ethic and all of this stuff. Because as Scrooge, so so at one point, so Scrooge and his dad are are searching for this um, for the the treasure. And on well, the Scrooge Scrooge is surfing for the treasure, and, and be, because Fergus is the laird of the castle, he's yes. he's supposed to know the secret and will not share it because Scrooge clearly doesn't want to come around except to find the treasure. Right. He's he, the the laird must find the the questor worthy, and in this case, it's specifically worthy in the sense that he he values family. Yes. And Scrooge tells the story of the number one dime when he was a, a young duck and he would uh, shoot. He was a shoe shiner. He would shine the shoes of, of the, of the people. And at one point, and the first, and, and at one point someone paid him with an American dime and he kept it as a symbol of what you can get through hard work. Yep. It was, it was his first customer. His first uh, customer. His very first and customer. It, was, it wasn't a Duckburg. It wasn't Duckburg money. It, it was an American dime. Yeah. And then his father reveals that he gave that dime to that first customer and pointed the customer in the direction of this young shoe shining duck. Oh, oh more than just pointed. Like muddied up the guy's shoes. Yes. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, like, got one of his clearly got one of his drinking buddies, <laughs> covered his drinking buddies' boots in mud, and said, no, "I'm not going to do a, a Scottish accent." Like, now go take this money that we can't spend on boots <laughs> and and give it to my kid to shine your shoes because I'm going to teach him a lesson. And and I and as he's telling and as Fergus is telling this story. I hadn't processed that they were poor, that, that the, the Scrooge family was poor at this point. 
So in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, okay, so this thing that was previously that Scrooge thought was a symbol of uh, a work ethic is actually a symbol of privilege because Fergus is is making this thing happen. It's not actually Scrooge's hard work that's making it happen. Um, but their family was poor. And this was the thing that Fergus could do, the only thing he could do, the only thing he could afford to do to ensure that his son understands that hard work will give you, will earn you rewards, will, um, that hard work is the thing that will bring you forward in life. But the weird alchemy of it is that it stops being a symbol of that or just that, and it becomes a symbol of family. It becomes an expression of his father's love. It becomes an expression of his father's um, desire to teach his son something valuable. So the number one dime, which previously was a symbol of wealth or maybe even luck or something, um, is and now avarice. a symbol of pardon avarice in particular. Like the first, right. the first, the first dime he ever earned, but instead of using it as currency, he coveted it. Yeah, my right? precious. Yep. Oh, it's so it is, it is the ring. And, and as we know, you know, uh, it, it has magical properties, right? It's, it's so totemic that it can, it can, you know, handle magic. It's why Magica wants it the entire, why she's always wanted it. It's very special. And we learn that the secret of it, the secret magic is family. The secret magic is love. And, And, and 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 a particular kind of love about providing a world, right? Like he he gave Scrooge an experiential lesson, right? Like he he put on a show. He put on an immersive show. He put on an immersive theater show. Scrooge <laughs> is the protagonist, right? Like he designs, he, he knows what lesson he wants Scrooge to learn. He doesn't come out and say it, which causes him problems, right? You know, like he doesn't, they don't, they don't talk about it afterwards. Like, so it was a you true transformative one-on-one for little Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. You know, uh, all, all for, you know, there's a prop dime and, uh, and some <laughs> mud and probably whatever he, you know, whatever booze he had for his friend. I'm just assuming they're, 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 <laughs> I, I'm I'm betting I'm, I'm betting for a drink the money away. Sorry, I just I think that's what happened. Um, and and yeah, like like that that that's actually a lesson there. Like you know the the what we particularly for kids, but but really for anybody, the simulations of the world that we bring to people. The, the the expectations the expectations of behavior we put on people can shape their view of reality forever and have ramifications that we don't anticipate or want in this case for fergus it was that scrooge learned the lesson so well that like they never saw him much yeah. anymore yeah right? he didn't he got the lesson about self-reliance but he didn't know that the real lesson was about family but he's exactly. always, but he's always felt it like family's so important to him, but it's not something he can articulate. Yeah. Right. Like, and we, we, the, the rest of this arc, we see just how important family's always been to Scrooge. Um, That's right. Which is why, which is why this, this, like 
the only episodes that can come after this episode are Sun Chaser and Shadow War. Like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Anything else on this one before we jump into Sun, Sun Chaser? Uh, no, no. Yeah. Sun Chaser. Why don't you, why don't you set up Sun Chaser, which is also oh. the closest we have to like a bottle episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the entire series. Um, so the, the whole family is on, uh, is on the, uh, the, the sun chaser, which is the, uh, the, the big plane that Launchpad crashes regularly. Mm-hmm. And they're going to the E X C E S S the excess, uh, 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 expo- exposition. It, it, it seems like it's a, it's, it's a like joke s- on CES was what it seems yeah. like. Yeah. And, and they're going to like. Kind of Monaco, I think is where they're going. I can't. Uh, it's, it's Monaco, is what Monaco. it is. Yeah, they're going to Monaco for excess. But they're so, actually going to find the final resting place of the Maltese MacGuffin, which is really funny. Which no one has ever laid eyes on. <laughs> That's right. And then, of course, and Huey, of course, asks many, many questions about the Maltese MacGuffin. What is it? Has anyone ever seen it? What could it possibly be? Um, oh, man, it's very funny. And the really funny, the really funny thing is that they never actually get to the excess exp- exposition in Monaco. So, like, the Maltese MacGuffin isn't even the MacGuffin, but the Excess Festival is the MacGuffin. They don't even get to the point where the MacGuffin becomes a MacGuffin, but then on the way, a totally different thing becomes a MacGuffin, which is very funny. And. And that thing is the the scrap of paper, uh, because because Louise talked the the archivist into giving them, and actually this this is the thing. So one of the actually here's something that's very important uh, for the narrative chain that we didn't mention in the last episode. You know they they found the you know he, he, Dewey's got that piece of paper that's got Della's handwriting on it, and Huey's like, "Did you rub a pencil on the back?" <laughs> and he's like, "What do you mean? No! It's like, I'm, how, how could you not? You don't learn anything. You always rule number one is you always run a, rub a pencil on the back to see what's up." And they get an image that is about uh, the spear of Selene, and <laughs> this is my favorite bit. This is like so meta, and they, there's a series of dates which you cannot see. And like entirely, but they've got the month and the day, and then it's clearly two thousand something. And like, dude, I think it's like Huey says, "Oh, guys, uh, it's like eleven fourteen to and like there's this hard edit, <laughs> like in the middle of him say like almost like deliberately hard edit, so he doesn't say the year. He's like, that's the week we were born. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. it's 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 so good." <laughs> But then also that's what they have. They have information. So Louis goes and gets like the records that were shredded that week at mm-hmm. the McDuck archives um, to see if they can piece it together. And they're just about ready to, they've almost pieced it all together when, uh, when of course the plane crashes as it does precariously on top of a mountain <laughs> perched in such a way uh, that uh, they could tip the whole thing over if they move the wrong direction. So this this again for this 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 hit me very hard because I loved the metaphor of it. Um and also I flashed on do you remember do you remember Spike and Mike's Sick and Twisted Animation Festivals? Uh yeah. 
Um, I, I think I only ever went to one in person. But mm, at the UC Theater? Yeah, pretty sure. Maybe I've, maybe I've been to... Maybe I've been to two because I definitely saw at least one of the cast. I think maybe I saw two because I think I saw one of the Castro and one of the UC. Mm. Good God, I missed the UC theater. Um, yeah, they rebuilt it as a music venue. I know, but that's not, not that's not like two yeah. double features a day. No. Oh, On God. the worst seats humanly imaginable. Like, should literally not have been legal to Yeah, but you're one of the few seats. humans in North America who's eating popcorn with real butter and watching uh hong kong cinema in the late 90s you know yeah no and I'm, I'm one of the few humans in north america who got to see like you know drunken fist and drunken fist uh no drunken master and drunken master 2 on like new yes. year's eve or new year's day because uh. i did right yeah no I so, so in no. one of these spike and mike's festivals there was a a stop motion animation piece called balance hmm by a couple of uh, German guys. Have you ever seen this? I don't think I have. So it's a story about these like six or maybe eight humanoids who are, it's all stop motion animation. So they're sort of like quasi featureless. They almost just look like illustration models who are wearing these gray fur trench coats. And they're standing on this disc that's floating in nothing. And they're all standing on the edge of the disc. And the setup is, if any of them move, like say one is who's standing on the edge of the disc steps forward, the disc starts to go off balance. So then another one of them also has to step forward in order to maintain the balance of the disc. And you see a sequence where they're sort of like establishing this and moving around and it has this sort of weird eternal feeling to it, like this has been happening forever. Mm. And then they all pull out these uh, fishing poles and turn around and start fishing off the edge of the disc. And then one of them pulls up a trunk. He sort of pulls up the trunk and the end of his fish hook and it lands in the middle of the disc. And they react as if they've never seen it before. All of a sudden they have this treasure. And they all try to get and possess the treasure. And as they do so, the disc gets more and more out of balance. And some of them start falling off of the disc because they want to possess this thing. They can't maintain balance because all of a sudden there's this limited um, resource that they all want to have, right? So it's like, it's it's very upfront with, what, with the metaphor. Right. And for this, you've got this family who's on the sun chaser, which is crashed onto this pointy pointy peak. And the only way that they are going to survive is if they maintain the balance of the plane on this peak. And they can only do it if they work together. But because Dewey is so obsessed with finding out the secret of what happened to his mother and this little piece that he has, the MacGuffin, the piece that has on it what might uh, reveal the secret of what happened to his mother, starts um, – he loses it. It starts blowing around. So he has to chase it and chase after it. And as he's chasing after it, the ship, uh, the plane is more and more out of balance. And he's putting his entire family in danger. And it was this 
I, I got really choked up watching it because it just felt so much like family to maintain this precarious position. Everyone needs to work together and know where everyone else is and listen to everybody else. And if any one person's obsessions or needs or yearnings are either not met or they feel like they're not met or they have to go somewhere else to get what they need, it puts everyone in danger. And there was this moment when I think it's all the way when like the, the piece flies out of the window. So he has to leave the, the cabin of the plane and go out on the wing and, um, and Scrooge is trying to pull him back. Meanwhile, all the other, all the other people in the fan and all the other ducks are trying to rebalance the plane. So it doesn't go over. And I, I can't remember if it was Scrooge who said it, or if it was one of the brothers where they're, they're pleading with Dewey and they're saying, they're saying we're enough. It's Huey. Huey, it's Huey, of course, it's Huey. Yeah, yeah. Huey's like, oh. you know, we, you know, basically saying something to the kin of like, we know you want to find it out, but like, you know, because we lost someone, but we're enough, right? Yeah. Like our family is amazing. We're enough. Like you don't have to do this. And and and, and the, the thing that's the thing that's resting under Dewey's unmet needs are all these secrets. Dewey yeah. kept the secrets from his brothers. Now they've been brought into the circle of trust, but now the kids are hiding it from the adults. And if they if they didn't hide it from the adults, if they weren't scared of if if now now Dewey's fears, even though he's he's expanded the circle of trust, and the thing that you know in the last episode what he admitted to was like not only was he first he was scared of what he found, then he was scared about the fact that he had kept it from them all, and essentially he was just like he just didn't know how they react. He couldn't control their reactions, and because he couldn't control their reactions, he wouldn't bring them in, right? Which yeah. is like. <laughs> I mean, there's another reason maybe why we call ourselves Dewey. <laughs> at, least, at least for me, like I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, you know, but like I think I think there's something quintessentially human about that. Maybe it's yeah. just the type of person do are. Um, but um, is this this is extrapolated out to like now the, the four of them are doing the exact same thing. Like the pattern of behavior continues. Right. Like just because of a personal moment of a revelation, just because of an expansion in moment. Hell, that's even reflected again. Fergus, when Fergus and Scrooge find the treasure of the castle, it winds up being just a note from um, the really ridiculously named. What the? Uh, dingus. Dingus. Dirty Dingus. Dirty <laughs> Dingus, voice. which is good grief. And the boys snicker at it, right? Like, like it's it's right there. That's basically him saying, like, uh, accusing Fergus of being everything that Scrooge that Fergus accuses accuses Fergus of being, right? So yes. you're like, oh, this is this is the pattern. This is who these people are. This is what it means yes. to be a member of Clan McDuck. And so here we are, next episode. This is what it means to be a member of Clan McDuck. You don't tell your family what's going on, even after you've told your family what's going on, because you're afraid of how your family's going to react. Right. And it's not entirely unfounded, because like Scrooge hasn't shared back. And so Scrooge has got this great line. He's like, I can't protect you, right? You know, 
because uh, like Dewey's all the way out on the edge trying to get the piece of information. He's like, I can't protect you. Dewey pulls the piece of paper, sees what's on it. What's on it is Scrooge. And so he says, and we don't see that until like a minute later, but he, but he says, you know, tell me about the spirit of Celine. And it clearly just breaks Scrooge's heart right then and there. Yeah. And, and then Scrooge levels with everybody. Well, and, and, and because it, the weight you cannot find proper balance with the, with the weight of all of these secrets. They have to be yes. unveiled. Yes. And what and and I'll let you sit, tell everyone what what gets unveiled. I'll let you recount that part. So what gets unveiled is that Donald and Della were great adventurers, and they had gone everywhere. Uh, and Della. Or I guess Donald wanted to sort of gift Della, or Della wanted Della wanted to go into uh, space, the final frontier. Um, and this is while the boys were eggs, so yeah. they were eggs. They had not. They I guess she laid the eggs, but the eggs had not hatched. So Scrooge uh, built a rocket, and the rocket is the spear of Selene. Um, and I guess the idea was that. Uh, it would be revealed once the triplets were born. Um, but Della, on her own, with her own spirit of adventure uh, uh, inside of her, uh, took the rocket on a test run. And she got caught up in a, I guess, a cosmic storm. Same um, one that got the Fantastic Four, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Unfortunately, she did not become um, any member of the Fantastic Four. Nope. Um, and she was stranded in, in space. She was lost, or she was lost, lost in space. That's a whole nother deal. Um, and she was lost. And there's Scrooge tells this this part of the story. The family has this huge breakdown. There's an argument. Like Scrooge tells Webby that she's not part of the family. This pisses Beakley off. Um, the boys accuse Scrooge of just, you know, giving up, just giving up on it all. Uh, you know, probably like when it got to be too expensive for him. But what we what we find out is actually Scrooge spared no expense. We're shown in a series of... But we find that out later, right? No, I mean, it's actually like, it is it is in this episode... But the boys don't don't know. The boys don't know. The boys don't find out. But but Scrooge Scrooge remembers later on. Like once once the family all goes, the family all decides like they're going to split, right? Like the boys are like, let's move out. Donald's finally fixed the boat, and it's like, let's move out. Um, Beakley is like, I'm taking my vacation days, and so she she and Webby head out, <laughs> and Duckworth's ghost follows, <laughs> which. Which the first time I was like funny, and the second time I was like, "Hey, wait a second, what's up with Beakley and Duckworth? <laughs> if Duckworth's going on vacation, like, there's some shenanigans going on in this mansion." I'm just gonna say, um, and then Scrooge remembers, and what Scrooge remembers is that he almost lost his fortune mm-hmm. because he built an entire fleet of ships to go right. after Della. Donald was so pissed, he just rolled the carriage with the eggs away, which also implies that because like the boys, the boys weren't hatched yet. Like who, who done hatched those eggs? 
Who didn't hatch those eggs? That's a very good question. Yeah. Did did Donald did Donald finish the hatching? I think Donald finished the hatching. Um and <laughs> and uh and then and and yeah, and like Scrooge lost his family and like didn't talk to didn't talk to them for ten years. Yeah. Which establishes the boys about as about ten years old, or ten and a half uh, by the time we're at this point in the thing. Um and and what had started, the episode naturally started with this like joyous beat of like, oh, if you told me six months ago I was gonna be filled with adventure and excitement because I had family, I would say you're crazy. And at the end, he's lost everything. And yeah. we've lost everything. And the show's the show is gone to the absolute nadir. Because we gotta set up the finale. <laughs> <laughs> gotta take the characters to the absolute lowest point they could possibly be. We break them all up. We drive them all back to where they were at the beginning of the series, living apart, um, living apart, uh, but no longer ignorant of what they what they didn't know they needed. And because they're no longer ignorant, they are to various degrees suffering. Um, Scrooge is suffering the most. The boys are, um, you know, kind of wary of going on. Um, Donald, I think at the end of this episode even, is it this episode or the beginning of next episode? It, it blurs a little bit, but it, it comes out pretty pretty soon, I think, in, in beginning of Shadow War that they're, they're going to move to Cape Suzette, which is where, yeah. um, which is where Tailspin happened. Um, before we before we go into Shadow War, is is there anything else? I think there's one thing we missed at the end of Secrets of Castle McDuck is that this mm-hmm. the um the hound that was chasing the boys, the the way that the boys get rid of the hound is by coming together. So so Dewey makes the Dewey um makes the revelation about about their mother. They're all very upset. They split apart. Then they then they come back together. And when they come back together, when they're being attacked by by this hound, this terrifying hound, um, their an- the ghosts of their ancestors, of all these um, uh, uh, ducks past, um, are behind them. Um, and I think that's part of that's you know I mean that's that's a a mirror or echo of of what's going on with Fergus and Scrooge. Cause th- this show doesn't mess around when it comes to legacy and ancestors. No. Um, which is one of the really lovely things about, about the show that these, that the way your parents were and their parents were and their parents were still lives with you. Um, and when yeah. the brothers come back together, they have the backing of their ancestors. I've been thinking a lot about, you know, American individualism, not American exceptionalism, mm-hmm. but American individualism. Uh-huh. And like, there's particularly, you know, and we've, I think we've even talked about it a little bit before, like particularly with like in, in the form of Scrooge even, right? Like, and the good parts of the individualism. Um, but what's, what's great here, what's, what's missing from, I think our culture as a whole is we've, we've drifted farther and farther away from, it being tempered by your place in the world, by family. Mm-hmm. I think we've spent a lot of 
it's it's weird. I mean, I'm an only child. Like I have a very small family, and you know, I'm very I'm very distant from my family. So I don't I don't I don't have a visceral. I have chosen family, but not a lot of given family. Um, and it's it's one of the things that makes. I mean, we were talking about missing seeing our friends uh, in, mm-hmm. in pandemic, and and for me that also means I'm 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 not seeing my chosen family like constantly. Like I'm I'm not with them. Right. Yeah. And and you can feel unmoored and the 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 direction of our society is to break and isolate and drive apart because people who are broken from their past broken from their family made to stand alone are are, are easier to plug into a system that doesn't care about people it's easier to turn you into just a product of the algorithm and that this show understands that individuals are are drawn into focus by their familial context, even if it's something the writer's room is not conscious of, it's there in the DNA of this. And I think that's one of the, the lovelier lessons of of the of the series as, as it is structured. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I, there's that, there's a, there's a trope in workplace dramas and CW style or WB style superhero TV shows of we're a family. This workplace is a family. The people around flash or green arrow or Buffy or whatever are a family. Um, and that's that's all well and good. But DuckTales takes it a step further because it it it's a deeper contextualization of not just family but ancestors and lineage and the things that pass down from generation to generation. And you know, I mean if the United States had a finer understanding of lineage and ancestors, then we wouldn't have such um, devotion to insane, illusory concepts like white, you know? Yeah. Well, and and we can't we can't look some of that square in the in the eye because of the sins that have been perpetuated. That's right? exactly right. Yeah. But because of our unwillingness to look at the sins that also eclipses all the good stuff, all the beauty. Right. It, it eclipses the people. Like but, we, but you can't, you can't have the beauty without the trauma. Not, not when you're dealing with history, right? Right. You know, like I, 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 some, I've always, I used to love, you know, the old, you can't have light without darkness, right? You know, like, ooh, spooky, right? And as time has gone on, part of me is like, oh, yeah, but like, you know, yeah, technically, like, light casts shadow. But like, that doesn't mean that we should cultivate the shadow <laughs> and like enrich it, right? And 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 it doesn't mean that, you know, you can't break an omelet without making, make, you can't break an omelet without making a few eggs. Exactly. Um, but- 
but if we but when we look at the past, it is impossible, right? Like we cannot just embrace the stuff that we like and ignore the stuff we don't like because then we don't even understand how valuable, how how courageous the stuff that we do like is. You know? You know, someone someone who's someone who's an abolitionist in the 1700s like i mean that's that's a lot tougher of a moral stance to run with in that context than even 100 years later you know and and we have the benefit of sitting here and looking looking back and being like, well, yeah, why weren't there more people like that? When part of it can be, I mean, yes, why weren't there more people like that? But then look at the people who were like that and be like, wow, what, what an incredible person. Why can't I know more about this person? Right. Yeah. You know, why don't, why don't I know more? And so much of that has to come with the fact that like for so many people in this country to, to deal with those stories means dealing with the sins of the father. And just not wanting, right. to not wanting to participate in that, you know. That's right, and it all and it all lives, it all lives on, and that which is unacknowledged is that which is repressed, and anything yeah. you repress only becomes stronger, which is what shadow work is about. That is what the union shadow is, whether it's expressed in. Um, a wizard of earth sea, which is a wonderful metaphor for that, or the shadow war. Where magic of the spell has been, you know, in, as it turns out inside Scrooge's number one dime for 15 years. That's right. Um, she's been pushed down. And what we learn the, 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 the episode opens on the boys on the boat again. And it's like, nope, we're like, we're like the very next day. Like we're the next day from the last episode. We're moving forward. And then when we shift over and see what's up with Scrooge, we actually start off with Lena, but Lena is fully taken over by Magica at this point, which is very dark. The, the, everything oh with Lena God. in this episode is very dark. Oh, it is so dark and mind you like the last time we saw lena was in the other bin of scrooge mcduck when magica took her over at the end right and so and and when there are these moments when lena asserts herself by vomiting magica up but it's also there are moments where she asserts herself but there's also just moments when like magica just like has lena vomit her up so that magica has someone to gloat to right like she doesn't need to do that she wants to she yeah. needs something other than herself to torture and torment in order to feel good. Cause that's how evil magic would dispel us. I mean, she is evil. Like this is not, this is not the magic of dispel of the 87 cartoon who was, you know, a tricksy witch who was always after Scooter's number one dime. Cause she wanted to put it in an amulet. Like, like, this is a big bad. This this is this is someone who is just cruel for cruelty's sake. Um and 
there's almost a part of me that's like sad we didn't have more of her in the season because now the fully armed and operational Magica is scary. She is very scary. She's very scary. And, and you know, you know it, it's still, it's DuckTales, so it still is also funny and quippy and fast. But yeah, she's very scary. Yeah. Um, she sends, she manages to like get Lena's body past the gate to get to the front door. And she's like super excited about having her showdown with the world's greatest adventurer. And like, it's, it's everything she's ever wanted. And Scrooge opens the door and he's in a, he's a dirty wife beater. <laughs> uh, it's a term we're not supposed to use anymore, but like, sorry, it's, it's, it's how I learned what those shirts were. Uh, that's, that's what they were first told. Um, and it's just, it's stained, it's a stained A-frame shirt. Uh, tank top and and of course no pants because ducks don't wear pants but there's something like there's something even more disturbing about the no pants when all the duck is wearing is an undershirt a dirty undershirt yeah yeah it makes the no pants seem much more um naked than they did before yeah yeah uh and even though it's only been three days as we learned like the mansion's a total mess and scrooge has been living off pizza and in my favorite moment, like there's a moment where like a possum like goes and like steals a slice of his and he's like screams about how it's been stealing his anchovies. And not one minute later, Scrooge kind of half passed out on the floor, right? Tries to reach for a slice of pizza that's on the floor. Can't quite get to it. So he just pulls one out of his shirt and then the possum shows up. <laughs> Scrooge just holds some of the pizza for the possum to eat. So, like Scrooge, even though he's like angry at this possum for stealing his food, the possum's also apparently now his only friend. So, as soon as the possum, like it's just, it's perfect. It's just so perfect. And Magic is like, this is all, this is all a ruse. He's, it's a trap. He's tricking me. (laughs) Because she, because her, her, her arch nemesis has to be worthy, right? So it's super fun. Launchpad and Webby, you know, decide that they're going to, as Mrs. Beakley puts it later, pull a parent trap um, yeah, to bring the family this back. This is a parent family. trap. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I want in. Right. <laughs> you know? um, and so they, they stage an elaborate, they stage an elaborate dinner. Meanwhile, Magica's, just to try and do everything she can to poison Scrooge. And he keeps on just being too depressed to drink his nutmeg tea. Just dumbing his way out of it. Yeah. Just, just on, honestly having some Donald dumb luck, right? Like yes. that kind of like, you know, the, the luck of the fool. So he, he can't be injured. Um, until, until finally magic is just like, Magica talks him into Magica, Magica Lena starts slapping him around and telling him that he doesn't need his family, that he was incredible before them and he could be incredible again. And Scrooge like starts burning his possessions and she's all, yeah, get rid of the dime too. 
And he's like, no, I need my dime. You know, like this is this foundation. Yeah. Like, no, you don't need and it. It's, and it's so useful that this comes directly after that. This comes because this takes on different meaning after the secrets of Castle McDuck. Yeah. Yeah. But if this yeah. happened, if secrets of Castle McDuck didn't reveal the multi-layered meaning of of the number one dime, then it would just seem like he was holding on to his last symbol of, of wealth. Yeah. Um, but it means a lot more. It means, it means that he's, it means also that he is missing his family and his family yeah. is the thing that he's not willing to throw away. Finally. Yeah. And, and it, and it would also lose some of its potency if it wasn't so close in the order run. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it would have been like, Oh, right. That, that part of it. Instead it's like, particularly if you binge the last four, which is the way to do it, um, you, you're super aware that that's like, that's what's at stake. And, and Scrooge finds it weird that like a teenage girl is really concerned about really wanting his dime. And that's when Lena, who is Magica just attacks him. Yep. Beats up an old man, takes the dime. The, the uh, eclipse comes to its full fruition and Magica Dispel is freed from the dime and returned to this plane of existence. Uh, Lena is absorbed into her body, into her, into her magic. And, uh, and yeah, like, like. And we get some really great Catherine Tate voice work here. Oh, so good. So good. Just just absolutely fantastic. Um yeah. Uh and and then yeah, like things were bad. It, 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 like a great film, it's like things got bad and now things are worse. And they're worse by an order of magnitude worse. And it and it's all stemming from the keepings of secrets, the abusing of familial bonds. Everything right, feeds right. back into the theme, right? Like going back to like our original or our like second episode about just like the the the, the pure classical storytelling here. Theme, theme, theme governs all action. It's all manifested through character. And when you've got it going on and you're doing it at length the way they have been, it's just like folding steel over and over again. It's all folded back in. There's a density here while still being light. It's just the strongest steel. Yeah, it's really good. I, to be honest, often I find this often in, in finales when it's, um, when there's this feeling of, um, I mean, it is all theme. It is all a concrescence of theme and everything that came before. Uh, and it's also, but like as the final dominoes fall down, fewer and fewer things are possible. Um, and except for the emotional resolutions, I, I tend to find myself less excited by finales especially in TV series um, than I do by like the middle and the late middle stuff. Yeah. Because that's, that's a way in which a narrative finale is different from reality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Like 
because you can see where everything's going. Um, but you know, I would, I would say like, you know, there's still a few surprises left, you know, and some of it's in, in the, in the hows and the who shows up. Yes. And I think Donald duck takes the four when it comes to surprises in, in this, in this finale. So let's go there. And do you know who it was? Who did you, did you know ahead of time? Did you, did you look and see who did the voice? I did not know ahead of time. And then the moment I heard the voice, I, I did not know who it was. So I, I had to look, I had to check. So take us there. So, um, uh, um, after Webby and Launchpad try and have this dinner party to get the, to get the brothers back together and they decide to go, uh, back to Scrooge, it all sort of falls apart, but then they, um, but then they, they, um, they, they see, or is, is it that they see magic as shadow magic? Our shadows sort of erupting from McDuck Manor. Um, Beakley, Beakley actually does the psychological work. Oh, that's right. It was Beakley. That's yeah. which is weird. Like, yeah. I'm a secret agent and a grandmother. <laughs> like I can do this, and she uses some pretty simple reverse psychology. Uh, although Dewey's kind of not having it, right? Like Dewey sees. That's actually the thing I love is like everyone else is down, but Dewey's still resenting. Like Dewey's ready to like let go, right? Which makes which makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. But then like Donald, Donald's the one who steps up and is just like, no, we need Scrooge and Scrooge needs us. And so we're going to go to him. And then the mansion explodes. <laughs> uh, and they see the, the column and, and then Magicka casts her spell and all the shadows, all the shadows go to serve Magicka the spell because she is the queen of shadows. And maybe and they then end- Donald tries to take take the lead and take control again, but nobody can understand what he's saying. Right. But luckily gyro Geerlis has shown up uh, and, and, and uh, gyro is a Barksian modulator, uh, which obviously was named after Carl Barks. And, uh, and also, uh, also, I guess, I guess you know, like I've never really read a lot of Donald Duck comics. Mm-hmm. So like Donald's, Donald being unintelligible is a thing that is true in the cartoons, but I suppose in comics, you don't really have the same problem. So when Carl Barks would write a Donald Duck car- comic book, like everyone could just understand what Donald Duck was saying. <laughs> just words, right? So Carl <laughs> Barks would modulate Donald Duck's voice to be understood by mere mortals. That's um, very funny. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's a little robot pill, and Jarro <laughs> grabs Donald and shoves it down his gullet. And then all of a sudden, Donald Duck sounds like a commanding, clear-voiced, resonant, macho uh, action, action leader. Because he's voiced by Don Cheadle. That's right. More machines in the house. Um, <laughs> how how that strike you? I like I've been waiting for this almost. When you were like Donald Duck's my favorite character, I've been like, Jose, I can't wait to get to the finale because I don't know how it's gonna it's gonna play with you. There, there's a part of me, there's a part of me that felt like Donald Duck got a little cheated by this moment. Mm. Um, and on top of that, I'm I'm I'm. 
one of the things that often I, I um one of the reasons why I'm not terribly drawn to Don Cheadle's to all of Don Cheadle's performances is is his evenness. Like it is that evenness of delivery that he has as an actor um that doesn't always work for me um in his in his roles and his performances. Um and the thing that worked for me a lot wasn't just that all of a sudden he sounded very, very, very clear, but it was the joke that not not only could you understand what he was saying, but he was very, very directed and very commanding and, and a little um, over the top in terms of his sort of like action character lines like that. That to me was very funny. Um, and I was kind of waiting for the moment where where the Donald Duck tantrum happened, but it happened with Don Cheadle making the Donald Duck tantrum happen. <laughs> and that never seemed to quite happen. Yeah. Like we, we got a moment where he was in a room filled with shadows and he was about to yes. go fight them. And he like got to shoot off like a Bruce Willis style line right. and dive into the fight. But like that was like in, in all honesty, like Beck Bennett when he was having Launchpad pretend to be Donald, yes, back in Castle McDuck, like had had more of a <laughs> when it was given the lines to do right of like he 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 had to cover for the fact that he was doing a terrible job as Donald. Suddenly he just got upset and started like trying to fight things, <laughs> and and it was still just Launchpadding, but it was it was perfect. It was perfect. Yeah, yeah. We didn't we didn't get to have the the, the meltdown, um, which which I guess is the writers saying like you know if everyone could just understand Donald, like he wouldn't get so upset. Like if he didn't have this like intelligibility right. problem, like he would be this unstoppable, almost super heroic force. Who who you get the sense by the end of the episode that Beakley's kind of like oh hey maybe. <laughs> <laughs> there's a moment where you're just like oh hmm and then again in the context of duckworth and then like going back to like the whole 60s agent thing it's just like you're like huh beakley huh and where's mr beakley and all this like you know because like webby's her granddaughter i'm just i'm just saying i've become i've become a little fascinated by like the other half it's like who's the boy's father who who are webby's parents Right, you know, like where where are these ducks, and what is going on with them? Um, that, that may be a function of quarantine. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so the Don Cheadle thing. Okay, okay, I've been curious. Yeah, I mean, it just it didn't. Um, I have such a love for Donald Duck as a spaz. Yeah. Um, that to see him suddenly transformed, I mean, to me, it, it would have been very funny to have him still be a spaz, but be perfectly comprehensible in a Don Cheadle kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I see what they were going for and I hear what you're saying. Yeah. No, I've been, I've been curious. I've been curious as well. And what's going to come on with you? Like, I, I, I really, I, as a gag, I enjoyed it. 
you know? Um, and, and I, and I like how it's kind of leaning into like, Oh no, but Donald duck is one of the world's great adventurers. Right. Like, um, and, and it turns out he was, I guess the muscle <laughs> for uncle Scrooge that entire time. Right. So suddenly it's like restored to his role as, as the muscle, uh, the muscle. And, and I guess what we've learned in the last episode or, or two episodes before the moral compass for Scrooge, right? Yes. You know, like Scrooge built the rocket in secret from both Donald and Della in part because Donald would have objected and there's, and, and he didn't want to deal with it. Right. Uh, Cause that's how McDuck's roll. Um, but yeah, you know, then, you know, everyone does their part. There's a multi-prong attack. The bad guys hold, you know, magic holds it all back. Uh, and at the end uh, it's, it's uh, they're saved by the power of friendship bracelet, the power of family, and the power of family. Um, and it's a happy ending, but something I didn't expect. I'm like, Lena, Lena may be gone. Ye- well, so, so Magica, so there's an, there's an irony in, in here, which uh, Scrooge uh, says straight up, which is that it, it's because Magica captures Scrooge, escapes the number one dime, captures Scrooge in the number one dime, releases all the shadows. It's because of all of that that brings the family back together. It's the conflict that brings them together. It's her actions that um, that sets up a situation where she's defeated and brings the family back together. Um, and then once all that's done, she disintegrates Lena. Yeah. But then there's a moment uh, at the end when Webby is realizing that her friend who ended up being true to her is gone um, and the boys hug her and they say, well, you know, Lena will always be with you. And then we see Webby's shadow and Webby's shadow looks like Lena. Yeah. Yeah. There, we see like Lena's spirit for a second. It almost like looks like Lena goes, the spirit of yeah. Lena goes into Webby's shadow yeah, I'm. I'm really. I'm hoping that comes back in some way in season two. Yeah, I, I would. But also, even, even though, I'm also glad that like they, even though it feels like okay, maybe we'll get there. Mm-hmm. I'm glad they didn't give it to us instantly. Like they withheld. Yeah. It wasn't just like we're going to do like a straight yeah. up totally happy ending. Everything's back. It's like no, like Magica has no powers at this point. She limps off. Lena's gone for now. Gone. Like there's a sense of Lots. consequences here that don't yeah. always exist in uh, kids' stories. No. Um, and then the the button for and the sort of the cliffhanger for the season yeah. is we see we we learn the fate of Della Duck, and it turns out that Della's on the moon. Della's on the moon. Della's on the oh, moon. with a bunch of sort of old salvaged gear that she seems to be trying to put back together. Yeah, and and she's able to see she's got a, she's got a tele, working television now, and saw the saw the boys, and and recognizes them for who they are. Mm-hmm. However, however that works, but it, it can kind of make sense. You know, like there's three of them. They're with Scrooge. Donald's there. Not too hard to figure out what's going on. She's smart. Yeah. And this time that one hit me. That one hit me. Not not a gut punch, but like a little mm-hmm. little poke. 
you know? Yeah, me too. Me too. Me too. Because it, cause it, like, I hadn't really – it really lands on you that she's never seen her boys and she had no idea uh, what became of them. And to suddenly see them as these 10- or 11-year-old ducks for the first time. Yeah. And even – and that we've managed to complete one of the big arcs of the series – for the for the season, but also advance the the emotional keel of the show, and that the the last moment we're left with is is in that center line, and the promise that as we go forward into the next season, that it is far from resolved, and in fact that there's there's hope for something more. Yeah, and I gotta tell you, like right now, having having. Just knowing that there's a that there that there's a future, <laughs> there's a future that good things can happen in. Oh boy, sign me up. A future, a future that isn't just uh, picking from the darkest possible timelines. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, sign me up for that nonsense because it's kind of like all I need right now. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was the first season of Ducktales, 2017. So, um, and once again, that was about ninety minutes. Once again, about ninety minutes. Yeah, mm. almost minute for minute. How long the, the episodes were? Uh, any uh, any last thoughts about about the season before we we let everyone get on with their day, night, weekend, whatever. I think it's really lovely and I and I love the way that they that the writers room creates these really dynamic fun funny engaging stories that are also really excellent narrative metaphors for family for the difference between wealth and um or for like to create a hero who is about a work ethic and an earned kind of wealth, an actual material wealth that's connected to something. Um, and I think like just the wild alchemy of turning Scrooge McDuck um, into a kind of hero that can make sense now is, is pretty excellent. Well said. Our experiment will continue in some form. Um, I'm so glad for everyone who's joined us on this journey. Um, I'm still shocked at how many of you joined us on this journey. <laughs> and um, I will say that, that one of my great joys is, uh, and it, it won't be immediate, We're, we'll, 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 come back together to talk about something else, probably not a full series of something, but we'll, we'll pick something to jaw on before we dive back in for the next round. But uh, when we go in next time around, uh, even the nature of the show will change a little bit because uh, Zay, neither Zay nor I will know what's going on in season two. We'll be discovering it in real time together. 
Uh, so expect an even more animated version of me because I'll be coming off my first watch and not my like second, not my very like all. So Zay, what did you think of uh, this episode? Which I was so happy that you got to see. It'd be more like, oh my god, dude, did you see? <laughs> what about this thing? <laughs> so uh, it'll it'll get a little more uh, a little more Chris Farley on my part probably. So um, <laughs> all right, that's a good place to end it. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're just discovering this feed, we've got hundreds of episodes about all things immersive and a whole website, No Persinium, that's dedicated to that, all of which is made possible by our Patreon backers. Follow us at No Persinium on Twitter and Facebook and learn how to support our work at patreon.com slash The episode features the tracks Battle of the Pogs, The Adventure, and Dance Contest to the Music from the album... Poopy's Incredible Adventures by Kumiku via the Free Music Archive and used under a Creative Commons license. Check out more at freemusicarchive.org. Until next time, remember, any crash you can walk away from 